0: All right, well, today we're talking about expectation and waiting, uh, like Pastor Lane said. Um, so I, I want us, and we're, and we're doing this, this series called Christmas Playlist. So before we launch into that, would you bow your heads and pray with me just for a moment? Father in heaven, I pray that in these next few moments that you would guide the words of my mouth for your glory and that by a miracle of your spirit, you would take every word and transform it in every ear into the message that you have for every heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When I was growing up, uh, my church, which could best be described as a Christian cult, was super anti-Christmas. Like, like anti, as anti-Christmas and anti-Easter as some Christians are anti-Halloween, okay? It was, it was just, you did not do that. And I remember feeling really guilty for ever thinking that Christmas lights were pretty and that, Christ, and that Christmas carols sounded pretty, now, don't worry, I, I got better, um, but, but I still have plenty of issues with, uh, with Christmas trappings that aren't related to Jesus, you know, like Christmas trees and Santa Claus and creepy Mariah Carey songs <laughs> in particular. So, so when Pastor Lane came up with this, with this sermon series of, of the Christmas playlist, I was excited. So what's on your Christmas playlist? Do you turn on your Christmas playlist as soon as you get home from work? And play it all the way till bedtime? Or, or do you just trust the radio that, that, that the retail stores are going to bombard you with, with plenty of Christmas music? Do you like the upbeat songs that have nothing to do with Jesus, like, like Deck the Halls and Jingle Bells? Or do you like the really like, solemn, worshipful ones like Silent Night? Um, or, or do you like those creepy Mariah Carey songs? If so, just don't tell me. Okay? I, I don't want to hear it. All right? So between now and, and Christmas, every Sunday, we're going to start our discussion by looking at a Christmas carol. And I got to go first, so I got to choose first. So the song that I felt most guilty about as a little kid, thinking it was really pretty, was Little Drummer Boy. But, but, but that's not it, that's not, that's not theological enough. Um, coming in a close second is Joy to the World. I, sing, I whistle and sing that song all year long. But my favorite, favorite Christmas carol is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. The lyrics go like this, or they start like this, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. And then the refrain, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. If we can use a little historical imagination, even though this song was written only about a thousand years ago, we can imagine what it would have been like for Jacob, to hear that song. Jacob was a real person, born around 60 B.C., a good thousand years before this song was written, and he lived in a little village about a day's walk from Capernaum, and he lived his whole life under Roman occupation. Jacob prays the Shema every morning, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and he prays it every night before bed. He longs for the good old days when King David was on the throne of Israel, or at least one of King David's descendants. But all that was lost. For him, it's been over 500 years since Israel fell to the Babylonians, and everybody who was anybody was exiled to Babylon hundreds of miles away. And that's when Israel began to wonder if God had given up on them. Sure, many Jews got to come back to the promised land. After after all, that's why Jacob lives in the promised land. Only it isn't really the same because it's not really their land. They've been subservient to the Babylonians, then the Persians, then the Greeks, and now the Romans. And Jacob, like most Jews, has this gnawing dread that maybe, maybe God has given up on them. Maybe they messed up too much. It's a tempting thought even for the most faithful. And yet, at the same time, Jacob remembers the hints in the Old Testament, the only Bible he knows, that one day, a descendant of King David would again be anointed to restore Israel. Not just just to its military might, but to its faithfulness, its restored relationship with the same God who rescued them out of slavery. Jacob trusts the promise of God that that God made to King David to always have an heir on the throne of Israel. And, And That 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 promise, he, he trusts that that promise rested, and here's the key, not on Israel's faithfulness, but on God's faithfulness. And so Jacob has the audacity to hope, to pray, and to wait on the salvation of the Lord. He says to himself, if only the anointed one, the Messiah, the root of Jesse, the descendant of King David would come and liberate us from foreign oppressors, then and only then would we be free, and only then can we experience Emmanuel, the presence of God. Jacob would have caught that word in that song if only it had been written earlier. Emmanuel, the word means God with us. That tenuous, elusive, fragile presence of God so easily lost by Israel's sin if only God would come and rescue us. Have you ever felt like that? Like maybe you've just screwed up too much to expect God to come to your rescue again? That's what Israel felt. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice in advance. Rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to you, O Israel. Maybe you and I can somehow and sometimes relate to that longing that hoping, that waiting. And maybe we need to rejoice in the hope of those lyrics. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee. But our experience is altogether different from Jacob's because we live on this side of the Jesus event. We live in the already and the not yet. Already Christ has come. And gained victory over sin and death and hell. Already we experience the presence of God through the spirit living in us. Already all over the world the gospel is bearing fruit and growing. Already the Christian witness heals the sick, comforts the hurting, makes peace, heals divisions, and fosters forgiveness and reconciliation. And yet the world is not yet whole. There is still sickness and pain and war and strife. The world is not yet under the absolute reign of our God and his Messiah. In, in Hebrews chapter 11, there's this, what's often called the faith hall of fame. And Abraham in faith, and Moses in faith, and, and it goes on and on all through this list of, of, of the who's who of the Old Testament. But there's this one part that we, that we often overlook that, that points out the fact that these faithful ones never saw God's promises fulfilled. Abraham never saw his descendants fill the land that God promised him. Moses never saw the, the temple built, and he never even got to go in to the promised land himself. And how many faithful servants have gone before us, waiting and hoping for the return of Christ in their lifetime? What speaks to me out of this Christmas carol is that waiting and hoping, that, that deep longing for the Son of God to appear, or for us to return for him to show up and end our exile our struggle our longing to end our brokenness and end our sadness if only he were here this song is a song about waiting in hope the fact is just plain waiting is part of life and i hate it how about you just the waiting it's like when you go to the driver's license office, and you wait for four hours, and you finally get to go talk to a bureaucrat who's not at all excited to see you, and they, they look at all your list of documents, and they're like, oh, yep, you got everything here except one thing. You're going to have to go home. Now, am I the only person who ever shows up with just missing one thing? Okay. And all that waiting was worthless. Or, or waiting in traffic. You're like, man, if I, I'm sitting here, I'm at a stop on a, a million-dollar-a-mile freeway, and if I had just left an hour earlier an hour later, I would have made this trip in half the time. And the waiting is just useless. Proverbs 13 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Yes, it does. But waiting, waiting is what God's people do. Not least because God is painfully patient. The children of Israel waited in slavery for 400 years. God's deliverance. They waited in the wilderness for 40 years when a direct route to the promised land would have taken a week, tops. Then they waited in exile, wondering if God had maybe finally given up on them after all. Here's the truth. It's really hard to admit. Waiting is good for us when it's waiting with hope. You see, hope is the present enjoyment of a future reality. Even in the midst of suffering and waiting, if we hope, if we enjoy the present, that which God has promised us in the future, we get to enjoy the blessing in advance. We grow closer to God in the trusting and the waiting and the hoping. And if you think about it, without waiting, there can be no hope. That's why we plan our vacations in advance. So that we can enjoy the looking forward to the vacation almost as much as the going and doing of the vacation. In the Bible, waiting is always, always a positive word because it always is about waiting with hope. I'm not gonna put these on the screen, but let me read to you just a handful. Psalm twenty seven fourteen. wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Psalm 33, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Psalm 37, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Lord, I wait for you. You will answer, Lord my God. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. Proverbs 20, I will, do not say, I'll pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord and he will avenge you. Isaiah 8, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the descendants of Jacob. I will put my trust in him. Isaiah 30, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. Before I get to this next part of the Old Testament that talks about waiting, let me give you just a little background as to why this one is so emotional for me. I was 27 when God called me to ministry, and I had a, a lot of mentors around me um, who were so encouraging and affirming. And, and one of those mentors, Gary, um, was kind of high up in leadership at this uh, Christian parachurch ministry, which shall not be named. Um, and and though, and he thought that I was uniquely qualified to take over some of his responsibility as he took a step toward retirement. And the job was perfect in every way, including the fact that it would allow me to move to Waco and attend seminary to get the theological education I wanted and frankly needed very badly. I drove to Dallas and I interviewed with Gary's boss and then I interviewed with the COO and they seemed really excited about me joining the team. But before they extended the offer, there's a but, they wanted me to meet the founder and CEO. And long story short, he couldn't get over my cultish upbringing. He said, I I just don't know what he believes. I was devastated. Not just because I didn't get the job and didn't get to start seminary, but but every time I had told that story of how I grew up and how God saved me and, and brought me out of it to Christianity, everybody saw it as a story of grace until now. It wasn't the last time I interviewed for a job and didn't get it but it was the first time I interviewed for a job and didn't get it, and that was hard. And Gary was angry at the founder, and he was embarrassed, but mostly he was concerned about me. And he sat me down, and he taught me this passage of scripture that I'm gonna read to you. And first he explained the context. This is right after Israel was defeated by the Babylonians. The temple is completely destroyed, not one stone on top of the other. Jerusalem is in flames, the king is in chains being carted off to Babylon, and anybody who's, everybody who's anybody is being taken off to Babylon. Okay? Everything that they had hoped for, every, all of God's promises are broken. There's no land, there's no king, there's no temple. There's no promises. And it's in this very context and, and that Jeremiah, the, the, the author of the book of Jeremiah, writes lamentations, where he complains to God and he says there's 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 nothing good there's there's no there's the, the storehouses are empty there's no fruit on the tree everything is lost and then he gets to this part he, so 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 for you when you when you listen to this this short passage of scripture if you're in a time that feels like exile in your life if you're in a time where you where you wonder if maybe god's given up on you when all the circumstances around you say, what's, what's even the point? And most of all, most of all, if you're in a place in your life where God has failed to meet your expectations, where you had a vision for what God would do for you, how God would provide for you, how God would protect you, and God has failed to meet your expectations, just like he did for me and that perfect job, this is for you. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are, mo- they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, as we just sang. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly on the salvation. Of the Lord. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him. To the one who seeks Him, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. If God meets all your expectations on time and just the way you want, you and I never learn how to wait. We never learn how to trust. So, what are you waiting for? What are you hoping for? The pain of a loss. That you've experienced to dissipate the way they say it will, for that healing to finally come, for that financial situation to finally get fixed, for God to have his vengeance on your enemies, for justice to overcome injustice, for the world to be set right. Let's not deny that in this space between the resurrection of Jesus and the return of Jesus, it's all about the waiting. Because we are mature enough to know, and you and I are mature enough to say out loud that things are not as they should be. Not quite yet. And so we wait. But we do not wait like those who have no hope. Because we know how this story ends. We know that exile ended in a meaningful way when the Messiah was born in a manger to a teenage virgin we have the benefit of hindsight. And when it comes to our own story, we have the benefit of foresight. We know that just as God was faithful to send his son to bear our sin and shame and claim victory over sin and death, and just as God was faithful to send the spirit to cheer and guide us, so also will God be faithful to one day, one day, return and set the world to rights and free us finally from the presence of sin, and even the need for hope. And in the meantime, we trust that our waiting now makes the having then so much better. Here's your Theology Nerd Minute. There's a theologian, a German guy named Jürgen Moltmann, and and he, he wrote a variety of books, and one of the, one of the things he said is that the end, when, the, when Jesus comes and returns and sets everything to right, and all the kingdoms of this world are subjected to the rule of Christ, that the, that the assurance of that fact actually changes reality now. It's not just that, that the waiting and the hoping uh, makes us feel better, but it changes what we do. It changes how we live. It changes how we see the world. And because it changes us, it changes what we do, and what we do changes the world. Like, and that's the most indirect way of looking at it, is that the end of all things, the eschaton, if, if we're going to be Bible nerds while we're being theology nerds, the eschaton, the end of all things, then actually affects the present now directly. That's the nature of the promises of God. And so... But with that assurance, we can proclaim with countless believers across time. We can share in the words of the Apostle Paul, we are pressed on every side, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not in despair. We are persecuted, but oh no, we are not abandoned. We are struck down but we are not destroyed. Therefore, do not lose heart, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. And one day, one day, there will be no more waiting. And so we sing with just as much confidence and faith as waiting and longing. O come, thou key of David, come, and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe for us the heavenward road, and bar the way to death's abode. O come, thou bright and morning star, and bring us comfort from afar. Dispel the shadows of the night, and turn our darkness into light. People of God, rejoice. Rejoice. Rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee. Would you bow your heads? And would you repeat this prayer with me? I'm going to give you a line and just repeat it right after me. O oh God of our hopes, we stand in the middle of already and not yet, enjoying your salvation and longing for your return. Help me wait in hope. hope. I trust you are returning. returning. So remind me this Christmas Christmas. that the God who already came came. is certain to take me home. home. In the name of Emmanuel, we pray. pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand as we engage this song that captures our longing and our waiting? We're gonna have prayer partners up at the front. If there's something that you want somebody to agree with you, In prayer for what you're hoping, waiting, longing for, they're here. Let's sing.